Hi, I'm Jake, your podcast producer here at New Hope, and I'd like to invite you to join us with our new show. It's called What Do I Say? and it's hosted by Pastor Ryan. He seeks to answer just that question. What do I say when I'm dealing with these issues? Whether that's homosexuality, the problem of good and evil, or does God exist? We invite you to listen along to today's episode. It's a good one. Hello, I want to welcome you to the podcast show called What Do I Say? My name is Ryan, and I'm the lead pastor at New Hope Church. And as always, I'm joined by Pastor Jake. We want to thank you for listening. Uh, really, the goal of this podcast, as we say each time, is to apply timeless truths of Scripture to the timely topics that we face today. And as always, if you would like to interact more on today's topic or any other, you're welcome to do so. You can email me at ryan at newhopeadel.org. Would love to would love to hear from you. Well, today in this episode, we are going to be talking about a hard but relevant topic. Yeah, uh, for sure. And really, one that I'm a little nervous about in the sense that it runs the risk of sounding whiny. I don't want to start 2023 off in our new podcast year uh, with that kind of tone, but but we want to talk today about addressing the growing opposition to Christianity in our nation. And I really appreciate how you're approaching this because, I mean, I listen to a fair amount of podcasts and there are some of them that it just, oh man, what's the world coming to? And I really appreciate, we've talked a little bit about where we're headed. And I, if you're worried about that, I encourage you to stay through the ends because we're going to talk about how do we respond, which I think is a spot that a lot of podcasts leave out. So I'm excited about today. And I think for each of us, uh, those listening, for you and I on the podcast here today, I, I think we have a different maybe lens or perspective of what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. For some listening, you would say, absolutely. I I can see the arc of, of change that has happened over the decades in terms of where our country is at or how, how people or cultural influences um, are responding to Christianity. Others may say, I'm not sure I see the problem, but... But nonetheless, to have a conversation, I think, is is very, very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, r- really, where I'm coming from, at least, and I think, Jake, you would agree, is is that there really is an anti-Christian headwind mm-hmm. in our culture that is blowing harder by the day. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I, um, I saw it really well about a week ago. I uh, checked on the news, as I typically do, just a kind of quick gander of what's going on. And there were three stories, three of them, just back to back to back that popped off the the screen that I was looking at. Uh, some of you might remember these, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. The first one was in the world of sports. It was about this hockey player uh, who who plays for the Philadelphia Flyers. And there was a, on a particular night, there was a pre-game warm-up that was focused on gay pride in the warmup. And so what that involved was the, the players would put on a pride themed hockey Jersey, and then they had these rainbow hockey sticks Mm -hmm. and then they would go out and I don't know the full scope of what happened in the pregame, but the players would, would wear this and then go out and do their warmups or exercises or whatever. Well, this one player, uh, Provorov, I think I pronounced that right. Quietly declined, uh, to go on the ice at that time. Uh, but later played in the game. His quote was this. He said, I respect everyone and everyone's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. Okay, so fine. But what was fascinating about this to me was the response of the sports media. They Mm -hmm. literally went berserk about this and piled on this hockey player. 
uh, they, they called from his removal from the team, essentially be fired. They called for his removal from the country. He, he's either right. from Ukraine or Russia. Russia, yeah. Russia, okay. Um, they were calling for massive fines of up to a million dollars for him refusing to step on the ice for a warm-up. And you, when you say quietly refused, that's literally all he did was that statement. And then that was it. just didn't go on to the pregame, the warm-up. There was one guy, a media guy, who was a commentator on television. He said this. He said, nothing scares me more than any human being who says, here's a quote, I'm not doing this because of my religious beliefs. There's something there that needs to be, needs to be talked about. So, so that was the first story. The next story, actually, I guess, again, from the world of sports, this time the NFL. And it was about Hall of Fame football coach Tony Dungy. And in this article through, again, sports media, he was labeled as an extremist. Hmm. Uh, uh, commentators were calling for his removal from Football Night in America, basically you know, to lose his job and be fired, uh, to be reprimanded, to be fined. So what did he do? Like, what was this, this big thing that Tony Dungy, uh, well, actually at that point, it was what he was planning to do. And what it was, was he had planned and he did attend a right to life rally in support of the unborn. Hmm. That was it. L- literally his attending this rally was enough for this call hmm. for him being fired. Then there was a third story. And, and this one is far from home. It was in the country of Malta. Not even sure where that's at, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, I found this one interesting. Again, same day, same news. And it was about this guy. This guy, um, he, w- he was arrested. And the reason he was arrested was because he was sharing his story of how he transitioned away from the homosexual lifestyle. Hmm. That was it. The reason he made the transition and a part of his story was that he had um, recently at that point made a decision to, to be a follower of Jesus. Now, what, what this was, was a situation where this guy was violating that nation's laws that makes it illegal to convert anyone away from homosexuality. Mm-hmm. That law is, is fascinating. You, you cannot talk to somebody about it. You can't even share your own journey or story about it. And so he was arrested. Wow. For that. Wow. That's insane. And so, so reading these stories and one day back to back to back, uh, it just got my attention. And, and I know that these types of stories happen every day, maybe the, and they're not on the news. They're not, they're not situations that uh, maybe the details of course are different, but people less famous. Yeah. Well, of course. And it demonstrates though, I would say what I, at least I believe to be true is this increasing headwind that's coming at Christianity. And it's even more than that because increasingly Christianity and therefore Christians are viewed more and more as immoral and dangerous Mm -hmm. because they're Christians. The odd part of that, of course, is that while the history of the church is far from perfect, followers of Jesus aim to, to bless and serve and love and add value to any local community Mm -hmm. Or nation, the average Christian does not view themselves as immoral or dangerous because of their Christianity. Right, and yet the narrative is switching, mm-hmm. and these are the labels, and this is the cultural ethos that's beginning to grow uh, larger and larger against the Christian worldview. So, the purpose of this podcast: um, make a few observations. 
what's what's happening? What's going on today? And as you referred to earlier on, how can we as followers of Jesus mm-hmm. respond? So important. Really hope that uh, for all of us today who are on this podcast, that we leave hope filled and, and empowered uh, for for this topic. So mm-hmm. ready to get started? I am. All right. Well, let's talk first about what's going on. And, and maybe it'd be helpful too to to just highlight that there are it's important to to recognize that not all opposition is the same. Oh yeah. Uh, so we use these words, but what exactly are we referring to? And 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 I think we could think about it this way. On one level, and maybe the most innocent level, is that we we as Christians have and carry with us sort of this general sense of I'm different. My beliefs are different than the status quo. Mm-hmm. That I don't I don't quite fit in. I don't feel like. I connect well with others. My friends do things or say things or view things or whatever it is. And that's just not what I'm about. And so I feel, I feel different. Mm-hmm. I feel isolated maybe. And, and that's, that's sort of one very um, basic level of what we're talking about today as we, as we live in this world, mm-hmm. but we're not of this world. Yeah. Another level though is, is this bullying that can happen where there's words that are spoken to a person about who they are, mm-hmm. why they do what they do, or or talk about them. That's more of the gossip yeah. arena, the so, looks. Yeah, some amount of ridicule. Yeah. Exactly. And, and maybe you listening to this, you've experienced those moments uh, because of your faith. But another level to that is what I would call opposition. And what this refers to is when people find ways to make you choosing to be a Jesus follower difficult. Mm-hmm. This is actively opposing you and your faith. This is this is when we talk about loss of religious freedom. If that's coming our way as a nation, that would be an example of this. What are those things and places and ways where culture makes it more and more difficult to love and follow Jesus? And this is the level that we're starting to see, I think, more often in America, which historically we haven't, we haven't dealt with this a ton. Ridicule is kind of that, that bullying is, there's always been some element of that, even if it's from other Christians of, oh, well, you're taking your faith too seriously or, oh, what a Bible thumper. But this opposition is, is new and yeah, different for us here in America at the very least. I think another level beyond that then is what, what I would call persecution. Mm Mm-hmm. This is when one person or a group brings harm mm-hmm. to the person who loves Jesus and tries to follow follow Jesus. Harm to person, harm to property, harm to prospects. The articles I was referring to earlier on, the loss, uh, the call for the loss of a job or mm-hmm. financial finding. I mean, those would be some examples of opposition and persecution mm-hmm. uh, there. And then the last one is is martyrdom. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's taking of life, and and we'll be touching on that later on. You know, recently Barna uh, did a large poll of Americans, and two things came out of that poll which I I thought were interesting. Uh, the first one is Barna observed that there is a growing concern in America about what was labeled religious extremism. Mm-hmm. The problem with that term, though, is it's a little fuzzy of what does that mean. Yeah. Um, what what was sort of observed from the study still still not very clear was was the observations that people have maybe because what's portrayed in the news or how it's framed and and taught to them of activity that is religiously inspired that may come across as 
well, goodness, even terrorism. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you had a, a shooter that goes to a Planned Parenthood center, um, that, that sort of gets portrayed as Christian, as mm -hmm. Christianity. This is what Christians do, and this is what they think because they're pro-life. And so uh, this, this religious extremism that Christians would argue, that, that person or that activity does not speak for us. Mm -hmm. That is not what following Jesus entails, and yet it's portrayed and personified that way. And so Christianity gets lumped into this religious extremism. Yeah. 9-11 and beyond, but it's all, it's all lumped together. The poll also noted that, and I don't think this is surprising, but that most non-religious Americans view Christianity as extremist. And so those that are not religious for, for whatever reason, um, they're the most vocal about their view that Christianity is dangerous. Mm. Makes sense. So, so you have that data that comes at you, but, but that's not enough because you have to ask the question, but then what's fueling this perception? Like, where is this coming from? And, and I think on one level, I think it comes from the fact that people fear and label as dangerous what they don't like, what they don't understand, what they're scared of, or what they believe challenges accepted models. Mm-hmm. When those kind of feelings surface, it's easier for people to label that other thing as unsafe or extreme. Right, right. And that probably ex explains some of what's going on. Mm -hmm. But the Bible reminds us repeatedly that the fuel, the primary fuel for opposition that Jesus faced in his own life and that followers of Jesus also face is spiritual. Mm -hmm. And this is what we learn from Scripture. Like, for example, just a handful of verses here in John 8, 12, Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the light of the world. And then in Ephesians 5, 8, it talks about, well, Christians, followers of Jesus. It says this, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And then finally, John chapter 3, verse 20. And this one is just so clear. It says, for everyone who does evil hates the light. Now, who's the light? Well, Jesus is the light. We just read that. And then we are to live out his light in us and to be children of light or lights in the world. Going back down to John 3, for everyone who does evil, what? Hates, hates it. Hates mm. the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Mm, that's that's really interesting, especially when you notice kind of the two arenas that in the stories you mentioned at the beginning, those arenas are a lot about they don't want to be told, frankly, even they don't want to hear that someone thinks they're wrong. And that is reason enough to call for someone to lose their job or to lose their livelihood or to be told they shouldn't even be in this country. That's, that's, that's a really key verse. Where was that at? The last one was John chapter three, verse 20. Hmm. Hmm. It just gives really good, clear insight of, of course, how Jesus was treated. Mm -hmm. He came to that, which was his own and his own rejected him mm -hmm. and ultimately crucified him. He, he brought light. He is the light into the dark world. 
and we saw how they responded to him. Um, a couple more verses, John chapter 15, uh, starting uh, verse 19 and then verse 20. It says, if you belonged to the world, it, in other words, the world would love you as its own. And then of Jesus says, if they, or Jesus says, excuse me, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Mm-hmm. That's a promise. And of course they did persecute Jesus. And then second Timothy t- uh, chapter three, verse 12 for uh, in everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. So, so if, if, if you, anybody listening, that's, that's your desire. I, I love Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. I want to honor him. I want to, I want to love my spouse and my kids, my grandkids or whatever may apply. I want to, my, my work habits and, and everything about me. I want to live a life that honors Jesus. Well, persecution is promised. Hmm. So I think it's in light of that, it's a good reminder that what, what seems maybe new mm-hmm. in terms of this uh, cultural headwind that's pushing against Christianity is not new. No. Not at all. Centuries, centuries old. From the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the increasing opposition that we are observing to truth, to the Bible, uh, to faith, to holiness, again, none of that is new. Uh, in, in fact, actually, uh, studies show that there is more persecution of believers today than ever before. Mm. And so it's um, it's very much with us. Mm-hmm. Well, how should we respond? As we, uh, as we kind of turn the corner to this last sort of section here, as we think through this today, what, what do we do? How, how do we navigate this? And and we want to offer three thoughts. Is it not just sit around and complain about how terrible the world is? That would be tempting. <laughs> Some of us might do that from time to time. But but yes, the three thoughts, what what can we do? And I, I think there's probably more than three. Of course, there are more than three. Yeah. But if these, uh, I hope these are helpful and encouraging to you. Let's take them one at a time. Um, the first one is, is I think as we as followers of Jesus, we need to really form not just an opinion, but a conviction. Mm. And here's the conviction. That living as a follower of Jesus is not immoral and it's not harmful. See, you may already believe this, but you will, if you haven't already, will be increasingly told that this is the case, that Mm -hmm. Christianity is dangerous, that it's immoral, that it's harmful. And as pressure increases against you and you're choosing to live as a follower of Jesus, as that happens we're going to be tested in this. Mm-hmm. And that's why this needs to be a conviction. And if you don't face this much opposition, I I can speak with certainty that the young people in your life, whether that's nephews, nieces, kids, um, people you know in college, like they are 110% going to, if not already, facing this. And they need to be told this often. Because it's one thing to know this, but a conviction is, is more than that. And to be reminded of this truth and reminded that following God is true uh, and is good. And to hear that often is so important because there are so many voices shouting the opposite. And would you say you work with middle school, high school, mm-hmm. this is true in middle school? 
Oh yeah, even absolutely. at the younger ages. I think, I think thankfully where we're at in school, um, we are blessed to to have less of this than other places. But if there is, if your kids spend any amount of time on um, something relatively new called the internet, it is just saturated. Everyone they listen to, everyone they interact with is just has this idea that Christians are nothing but horrible, hateful bigots. And that if you believe in Christ, you are backwards and just mean. And that is, even if you don't believe that, if you hear it enough, it impacts you. It does. So for ourselves, for our children, Mm -hmm. again, holding the idea that having a biblical worldview Mm -hmm. is not unloving. Mm -hmm. Uh, Standing strong on marriage as a covenant between one man and one woman for one lifetime is not immoral. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maintaining the truth does exist and that is found in scripture is not harmful. It's, it's Mm -hmm. good. Uh, Raising children to follow Jesus is not unloving. Amen. Um, Living out the commands of the Bible is, is what is best as he com as his commands, they're good for us. Mm-hmm. So, so we need to have that as a conviction because, because we're going to be tested and we need to, we need to stand, we need mm-hmm. to stand strong. Um, even though it may cost your reputation, yeah. it may cost freedom. It may cost a friendship. Um, the question is, will you stand strong mm-hmm. with this? Yeah. Uh, we may soon find out. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think one thing is really important is I think how you stand matters too. I, don't know, I think I've seen Christians stand and they stand in ways that are just hurtful to people, not because of what they're saying, but how they're saying it too. That's a great segue into our second yeah. out of three uh, thoughts on this topic of how the church should respond, and that is that our words and actions should be saturated with grace and truth, Amen. just as you said. Yeah. Um, why? Well. It's as simple as this, because that's what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. He he went through the persecution so we can look at his example. How did he navigate that? What what did he do? What did he say? And his character, his foundation, in terms of who he is and how he responded, is spoken of in John chapter one, verse fourteen. It says, "The Word became flesh, Jesus, and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory of the one and only who came from the Father, and he came full." of grace and truth. Mm -hmm. This is who he is. And this is how he responded. Uh, When Jesus was slandered, when he was mocked and rejected, bullied, beaten, even crucified, he still responded graciously and he never wavered in what was true. Mm -hmm. Those two held in perfect harmony. Such a beautiful example. So worship, we're to follow his, his example, of course. And I like what you were referring to beforehand. And before we actually went on air, you said this, which was really good, that that we should let the word, the word of God bring offense, mm-hmm. but not us. Mm-hmm. Do you want to elaborate more on that? Yeah, I just, I mean, I've seen so many Christians that they're just so abrasive or aggressive in how they present truth. And I think... Online is obviously one spot where this is super easy to do, where it's like, yeah, everything you're saying is true, but why are you saying it like that? Um, because that that's not balanced with grace. It's not truth with love. And then what ends up happening is you've 
offended the person, but you haven't offended them because they disagree with the Bible. You've offended them because you're being, frankly, mean. You're being aggressive. You're being hurtful. And that doesn't bring glory to Jesus. Yeah, you have truth, but you have no grace. You have no love. And just as the opposite is is something we should avoid as well, all love and no truth isn't really love, but all truth with no grace doesn't help the unbeliever either. Well said. Well said. Our last point, respond to opposition with boldness. Hmm. And what I mean by this is the church is quite remarkable. And I mean like big C church, not just the church we get to serve at, uh, though I think that's true too. But there's there's nothing quite like the church. See, when opposition comes uh, to the Christian, to the collection, to the family, to a local church, two things actually begin to happen, which is interesting. The first one is that persecution prunes. Um, when persecution comes, it actually helps the church to become more passionate, mm-hmm. more devoted, uh, more holy, more biblical, and less divisive. Hmm. A church that's facing persecution and is on mission does not fight about the color of the carpet. No, they don't. They just don't do doesn't, that. Doesn't because, matter. <laughs> right, exactly, because they are about what Jesus has called them to be about. And now when this happens, the pruning, yes, the church gets smaller. Well, naturally, because those who are there for any number of reasons are going through the motions, they peel off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the seed that falls on the hard soil or or the quick starts that just, uh, you know, burn off. So mm-hmm. so, uh, so you do have that happen in the persecution and the pruning process. But the second thing that happens is that persecution also pushes. And what I mean by that is that the church is built to advance in the face of opposition. It's not built to retreat. Mm-hmm. There's an old saying, uh, centuries old, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Mm. What does that mean? Well, it meant in early Christianity that um, as it began to form and then Rome began to identify that Christians are not Jews and and they don't worship the emperor, but they worship this Jesus, uh, persecution and martyrdom increased. They went through about three centuries of... How many of the disciples died natural deaths? Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> their own kind life of. as well. <laughs> yeah, and um, but that was exactly the time that church, ex- that excuse me, Christianity exploded mm-hmm. around the known world. See, the church grows where persecution happens, so it prunes and it grows. Mm-hmm. I think some of the stories that I've I've heard of the church in China or the church in like Iran and the Middle East right now, they are being persecuted more than we can imagine, and it is not slowing that church down at all. That's right. It is just wonderful to hear those stories, and we should use those as encouragement to face the persecution we face, which is so minor compared with boldness. I love that. There's a story in Acts 4 that does a wonderful job of demonstrating this. Acts 4 is a is a scene of the very, very early church. Jesus has very recently been crucified and ascended back to the Father. These early Christians are gathered um, quietly, if you will, in Jerusalem. But this scene has Peter and John, and they're in they're in the city, and they they have a collection of people, and they began to boldly proclaim about Jesus. They they talk about their faith. They talk about who Jesus is. They call for response. All of this begins to happen, and uh, 
they were they were arrested, you know, and then brought in. And there's this whole scene that Acts four kind of unpacks of their of their trial. Ultimately, they were released, and so Peter and John then go back to this gathering of early Christians right after they get released from prison. Exactly. Right? Yes, and uh, of course, told them what happened, and then what this group began to do is they began to pray. In Acts four verses twenty four to thirty, I'm not going to read it all uh, here on the podcast. But this this prayer that these early Christians um, prayed is is recorded there, so you can read it. Now, here's what's interesting about the prayer: is there's not a single mention in the prayer with these Christians of them asking God to protect them from harm. Mm. There's nothing about keep us safe, don't let them you know know where we live, don't let them hurt my house, don't let them arrest my family, yeah. uh, don't let them take my job. Whatever. Yeah. None of that. They do mention the threats, though, don't they? Oh, they're very clear about it. They're very aware of what's going on. They talk about it. They say, God, you see what's happening. Mm. And then here's their request. They do make a request, but here it is in verse 29. They, They pray. They said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Wow. What? Like, seriously, do we as a church pray this way today? Do I, and that's a convicting question because it's hard to know what you would actually do in those moments, but I can see a really easy scenario where I wouldn't pray that had I just gone through an arrest scenario, had I been through something like this. They say, help us to speak your word with great boldness. These two guys were arrested because they were bold. (laughs) That's exactly what what they just went through. But the point is they didn't back down. The point is they didn't change their mission from Jesus. They didn't say, well, things are kind of getting hard here or the political climate has changed or let's transition 2000 years from now. Well, COVID is going on. So the mission of Jesus is different. Mm -hmm. It never changes. Unfortunately, the church will change their mission to the current times Mm -hmm. at times. But the mission of the church is not to change. And in fact, in those moments where things get harder, where things culturally are more uh, positioned toward opposition, that's where the church rises up. Light shines brighter in the darkness, that is for sure. Their prayer, make no mistake, was asking for more persecution. Hmm. Why? Because the mission mattered so much to them. Because Jesus mattered so much to them, and that's a that's a challenge. That's a, that's a convicting thing. And so, just as we wrap up here, this podcast. Thank you again for listening. I just think that we need to come to a place. I need to come to a place where where we increasingly fully embrace the reality that we live here as exiles um, on a journey, and we are we're waiting for our coming King. Um, the principles we see in scripture that that we live in this world, but our citizenship is not in this world. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere else that, yes, of course, we have leaders and authorities in our nation, whether it's local, state, federal, but our allegiance to is, is to another king. Mm-hmm. He's the one we follow. And then, of course, we have voices that are all around us, whether we want them there or not, that seek to shape our worldview and our lifestyle. But we're going to look to the Bible. We're going to go to his word, his perspective, and build a, our worldview upon him. And the thing is, I, I don't know what the future holds for the church. 
I don't know. I don't know what it holds for religious freedom. I can see a real scenario where religious freedom in our country does change in the coming years. Um, for opposition against biblical principles that we already see in motion today. But we're not in charge of any of that. Mm-mm. So let's get our focus and our commitment to living like Jesus, mm-hmm. filled with grace and truth, uh, to respond with boldness, not not being obnoxious, as Jake, you pointed out, but, but being kind and winsome um, and matching our words with serving, mm-hmm. with action. And, and to live with conviction that loving Jesus and following Jesus, it is not immoral. It is not harmful. Rather, it is the hope for the world. It's the best thing we can do. The world needs Jesus mm-hmm. and we need to display it. Amen. So thank you for listening. I hope this was an encouragement to you and some things for you to reflect on or maybe discuss with friends or family as we together seek to to grow more as a follower of Jesus and all that that entails. Again, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to the next time together on What Do I Say podcast. See you next time.